text of the sermon today is from the Old Testament book, 1 Chronicles. Now I may need to help some of you to find that. You go to the front of the Bible and take a right. And you're going to get like books like Judges and 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel. You'll find it there right away. Now in the 22nd chapter of 1st Chronicles, beginning at verse 1, Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. So David gave orders to gather the foreigners who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to hew out stones to build the house of God. And David prepared large quantities of iron to make the nails of the doors of the gates and for the clamps, and more bronze than could be weighed, and timbers of cedar logs beyond number, for the Sidonians and the Tyrians brought large quantities of cedar timber to David. And David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all lands. Therefore I will make preparation for it. So David made ample preparation before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, I had intended to build a house to the name of the Lord, but the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood on the earth before me. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of peace, a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He will build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, that you may be successful, and build the house of the Lord your God, just as he has spoken concerning you. Only the house... Only the Lord give you direction and understanding and give you charge over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you shall prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Now behold, with great pains I have prepared for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold and a million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond weight. For they in great quantity also timber and stone have I prepared, and you may add to them. Moreover, there are many workmen with you, stone cutters and masons of stone and carpenters, and all men who are skillful in every kind of work. Of the gold, the silver, and the bronze, and the iron, there is no limit. Arise and work, and may the Lord be with you. We know what he's talking about. Such a man is visionary and unselfish and dedicated. 
But whether we recognize it or not, we're all planting shade trees we'll never sit under. For what we do today will affect those who come after us. They shall inherit both our wisdom and our folly. So that it is really inescapable that our influence, our sins, and our negligence shall not affect those who come after us. It would be honest then to admit that the influence of David, the hero of this sermon, was not always good. His trees of pride and passion and idleness and forgetfulness of God cast their shade over his children long after he had passed beyond them. Whether we recognize it or not, we're all planting trees that we'll never sit under. But the great man is the man who deliberately sets out to do something that he himself will never enjoy. He's a man who gives of himself and the best that he has in order that those who follow after him may attain noble goals. And in an age that lives largely for the present moment and which is enamored in building monuments to itself like the men in Babel, that's a worthy goal. But those kind of men are hard to find. I tell you, we need a revival of men in the nation and in the church and in the home that will build vineyards for others. And that requires some qualities of life that all of us must seek. For example, to plant shade trees we will never sit under requires a great dream. David was a dreamer. He dreamed that he would build a house for God. It was to be a great house, a magnificent one. And the reason for his noble aspiration and idea is clear. Because the people of God under his glorious and successful reign had prospered. They lived in their cedar houses and they enjoyed a high standard of living. And to David it was inconsistent that God would have no house while the people of God enjoyed such great affluence. Far too long the Ark of the Covenant had no settled place to rest and so David thought it's time to do something great for God. Just by way of passing, let me observe that God may still be displeased when His affluent people take the best they have and spend it on their own comfort and bring their second best to Him. His other motivation was more personal. David wanted to do something for God because God had been so good to him. He remembered specifically of his pride in the past when he boasted of his own pleasure and his own power. And in the past he he decided that he would forget about God, for who needs God? And because of his arrogance, the people came under the judgment of God. And when pestilence fell upon the people, David came and built an altar. And in repentance, he, he asked God to stay his hand and, and hold back his anger, and God did. It was in that act and place of mercy, on that very spot where he built an altar to the mercy of God, 
that David wanted to erect the temple of his dream. It was there in that very spot where God had been so good to him that he wanted the highest purpose of his life to be fulfilled. The problem with so many of us is that we no longer dream about great things. We no longer have great dreams. We have forgotten the goodness of God in our affluence. And we have forgotten and taken for granted the mercy of God in our forgiveness. And we are so intimidated by the, by the pressures of the time, the frenzy of our lives, that our dreams have died. And we've become prisoners of the possible and the plausible and the practical. And we no longer live in the faith dimension, some of us. The 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews is the great chapter of the roll call of the faithful. I want to read you a couple of verses from that. In that 11th chapter he says, as he talks about these great saints of God who had paid such a great sacrifice for their faith, he says, and they were stoned, and they were sawn in two, they were tempted. They were put in... They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. What a tragedy. They all outlived their dreams. What a sad commentary. They all died before their vision was realized, before their dream was realized. I'll tell you something more tragic than that. I'll tell you something sadder than that. And that is for a man to outlive his dream, for his dream to die before he does. You may laugh at, at utopia if you wish, but I will stand with a man who says, Utopias make this world acceptable. For the mansions and the palaces of which people dream are the very ones in which they or those they love will finally live. What a shame that some of us have outlived our dreams. The capacity to fantasize has been lost. It's the enemy to planning. It's the ideology of an inert society. It's the opposite of biblical faith. For biblical religion was not some kind of a sedative so that a person would be able to accept the status quo. Biblical religion was a faith that dreamed of the future. And so in the Old Testament, they dreamed of the Messianic age. And in the New Testament, they dreamed of the coming of the Lord and with great courage they marched out to conquer. We need, we must get off the tread, treadmill of the present and dream great dreams for the future. For the man who is doing something great for God and for others is not the man who looks, he never looks back in reminiscence and he never looks around with cynicism and surrender. He looks forward with expectancy. George Bernard Shaw said, some people see things as they are and ask why. I dream things that never were and ask why not. And some people's dreams are really not worthy. We're like the city slicker lawyer in the hands of the wily old farmer. The lawyer wanted to buy one of his horses 
And so the wily old farmer said, there he is out in the pasture. You can buy him if you can catch him. And so he and his sons, three of them, chased that horse all over that pasture for about four hours, finally caught him. The sweat and the sincerity of the city slicker caused the wily old farmer to feel a measure of honesty. And he said, I need, as he took his money, he said, I need to tell you a couple of things about that horse. He's awful hard to catch. And once you catch him, he ain't worth a darn. Uh, I need to tell you about some of our dreams. They're awful hard to catch. They're awful hard to realize. They're like mirages. And I need to tell you something else about some of our dreams. They're unworthy when we have them. We need to dream dreams that only God can do. A man who plants trees he'll never sit under is a man who has a great dream. To sit under trees, to plant trees you'll never sit under requires a sensible humility. There's a limit to what any of us can do. And God came to David and He said, You're not the man to build this house to the glory of God. For you have caused war, you have waged wars, and have shed an abundance of blood. And your son Solomon, a man of peace, will build this house. So that he was disqualified by his wars, however noble and worthy they were. The work of God would not continue, would not come through a man whose hands were reddened with blood. And that's a thought that is so far beyond David's time that it had to come by revelation. The work of the God of peace will never move forward through a man who has a sword in one hand and a trial in the other. Whatever's done for God will be done where there is no strife or division. I must say that again. The work of God will never be done where there is strife or division. In a few, month, in a few moments, we'll go outside here and we'll, till some, we'll turn some soil indicative of a groundbreaking, which is really a miracle in itself that we're moving in that way, in unity. But I must say to you that that building will never be full. It'll never be furnished. It will never be finished unless we're all together in unity all the time. Whatever's done for God, we do together. We do as one you depending on me and I depending on you. So there is no place in the moving forward of the work of God for any strife or any, or any division, any judgmental critical spirit. We do it together. We do it as one. It's amazing what a man can do if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. We're all limited by our talents and our circumstances and we're all limited by certain opportunities and conditions. But if we're willing to do our part and humbly leave the rest to others, if we're willing to plant trees, we shall never sit under. There is no limit to what God can do. I want to finish that verse of Scripture that I read a moment ago. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised 
because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us, lay, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. They all died before they saw the fulfillment of their dreams. The vision that had gripped them for their entire life was never seen, was never realized. They never heard the end of the story, the rest of the story. They all died before the promise was realized, not because they were sinful, not because God was unfaithful, but because God had something better for us. He wanted the success of their ministry to be dependent upon those who follow them. And so there's a marvelous sermon entitled, the duty of making the past a success. That's the way it is with faith. And so Solomon finished the dream of David and Timothy extended the ministry of Paul and the dreams of John Wesley and his theology found their scope widened in the ministry of D.T. Niles and the outreach of Andrew found a deeper scope in a Dwight L. Moody. And those who have passed before us make up that cloud of witnesses today that, that bends down and has a stake in what we do and cheers us on in our efforts to victory. A few months ago, really three years ago, when we sat down to plan for these, um, these hours that are before us and the growth of our church, there were some people sitting with us in the initial planning stages that are not here today. I've gone with their families on that sad journey from here out to Highland Cemetery and other places, and they've died before the realization of their dreams. But I tell you, I sense that they are somewhere aware of what we're doing, this great cloud of witnesses, and they bend down to observe us and to rejoice with us and to cheer us on. To plant trees you'll never sit under requires a sensible humility and an awareness that we all need each other to get it done. Finally, to plant trees you will never sit under requires a sense of priority. It's the cause that's important. It's the cause. It's not the personalities involved. It's the cause that's important. Now David wanted to build this house himself, but God told him he couldn't. And so in humble submission to the will of God, he began to make preparation for that which he would never finish. And he got his servants busy and they cut stones and they began to pre prepare nails for the doors of the gate. And they got brass, so much brass they couldn't weigh it. An abundance of cedars from Lebanon. And they got an amazing amount of gold and silver. And when his hands could do no more, and after his body was cold, the cause came to fruition. And the temple rose to the glory of God. And the world has never 
exceeded it in its magnificence. And so they cut those stones in quarries away from the temple so that there be no noise where the temple was being built. And they brought them there on rafts. No hammers rung, no ponderous axes rung. Like some tall palm, the mystic fabric sprung. And God's temple came to fruition. And the magnificence of it was mind-boggling. They mixed the gold with the cedars. And the tapestries were marvelous and exceedingly beautiful. It was a marvelous place. And Solomon dedicated the house of God with this commitment. I have built for thee a house, a habitation, a place to dwell forever. And the cloud, the Shekinah cloud of God's glory came and filled the temple. I want you to know that God's presence always attends great men who dream great dreams. And God's glory always fills houses that are built in unity. And God's presence always comes in an exalted glory where people are willing to give the best to God. Now how do you plant trees you'll never sit under. You do it with a realization that that's what you're doing. That's why I had those folk to stand who were here when that other, this other part of this place was built. And the overwhelming majority of the people who sit in this place and in this choir and who fill this auditorium and this balcony are people who are sitting in the shade of trees they did not build. And you're eating of vineyards that you did not plant. And you dwell in houses that you did not build. And you drink from wells that you did not dig. And you live in cities that you did not erect. And the realization of that ought to move us to do greater for God. For we have lived off of the contribution and the commitment of the past. And have enjoyed it. When World War II began... Just as it's beginning, the coal miners in London threatened to go on strike. If they went on strike, the nation would be crippled. And so Winston Churchill, the prime minister, said, get all the coal miners together in one large building. Get them into the palladium. I want to address them. And he stood in the palladium, this great prime minister, and he, and he addressed the coal miners. And he said, this is a crucial hour in England, in Britain's history. We're at war. And I'm told there will be an invasion. The Nazis are coming. And when they come, we'll engage them in, on the beach. And if they drive us from the beach, we'll engage them in the city limits. And if they push us from the city limits, we'll fight them in our homes. And if they rout us from our homes, we'll fight them in the countryside. But because of your sweat and blood and tears, they'll always be in England, and we will win. And there'll be a day of peace, he said. I can see it now. There's coming a time when the Allies will march down the streets of London, and thousands of people will be there cheering. And they'll ask, how did we do it? And the Air Force will say, we bombed their cities. That's how we did it. 
And the Allies will say, we engaged them in the countryside and we drove them from our land. That's how we did it. And the Navy will say, we brought our troops through mine-infested seas into the harbors. That's how we did it. And you coal miners will be there. And you will say, we were faithful and we did our part. And that's how we did it. And one by one, the coal miners filed out of the palladium and they went back to work. At the risk of being melodramatic, let me say, with the blood and the sweat and the tears of the people of this congregation, there will always be First Baptist Church. And I can see it, that one day we're going to win. The victory is ours. And when we start down in that great triumphant march, the thousands are going to be there as we make our way down the streets of, glow, of gold and glory. And they're going to say, how did you do it? And you're going to say, because we were faithful and we did our part. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you'll raise up in our midst some great dreamers, men and women who will dream dreams that only God can accomplish. And I pray that you'll raise up in this congregation people committed to one another in unity, realizing that what we do for God, we, must, we have to do together, cannot be done unless it's done together. And I pray, O oh Father, that you'll raise up in our midst people who are committed to this, with a sense of priority to the cause and who are willing to give themselves and the very best they can they have to the kingdom of God is extended to all men and every person comes to know Jesus Christ whose name I pray now there are three invitations that I offer this morning in this service first invitation is for you to come give your life to Jesus Christ a great price has been paid for you by God Himself, by His Son. He died on the cross for your salvation. He took a big gamble. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. He had a great dream. He dreamed that if He would give His life, you would respond to that love and grace and give Him yours. And if you've never been saved, if you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never invited Him into your heart, this is the time to do that. Come saying, I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to commit my life to Him. The second invitation is for you to come place your life in the church. To say, I want to join the church. I want to be there where, where God is at work and where there is commitment and excitement and sacrifice. I want to be a part of growth and outreach and love and fellowship. 
the third invitation is for you to come this morning to say, I, I want to rededicate my life to Christ. And this very place where God has been so good, His love has been so extended, I want to erect an altar, the altar where I place my life, commit myself to Him in a brand new walk, in a brand new way. Maybe you've gotten away from God. You've forgotten the promise. You no longer, your dream has died. You need to come to renew that today. We're going to ask you to do it. The easiest time to do it is when the first word is sung of the invitation. Now you do that while we stand. You come.